Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Hello, I'm Scott Sasha. And I'm Evan Novi Williams, and this is the Sportacast. All right, Novi Williams, let's close the loop on the Super Bowl. You watched it on Linear TV. I watched it on linear TV, but as we're seeing, fewer people, as we go on, are digesting their football that way. Uh, what word would you use to describe how CBS officials think about the final number? Surprisingly worried, maybe? <laughs> yeah, it's, it certainly seems we talked a bit about you know what this number was going to be. Is it going to be over 100, just under 100? And, and for the record, in. I'll say I was wrong. I'll say I was wrong. I thought it was going to do 100 million because of pandemic. I still thought casual fans, even though they couldn't go to the party, would want to partake in the virtual water cooler and say I watched the game. And but I was wrong. It certainly seems like, Scott, that that whatever boost that was, was overshadowed by the negative boost we've seen, both from cord cutting accelerated during the pandemic and also the fact that a lot of people out there just are deprioritizing sports at a time when when there's bigger nationwide economic social issues happening. The the, the final number we should just give ninety six point four million was the total all in viewership for CBS. That includes the streaming number. If you look just at TV, ninety one point six million. It's the lowest TV audience for the Super Bowl since two thousand seven. Now, how much do we say if the score? at halftime was, let's say, I'll give them a little more credit. Let's say it was 17.14 bucks at the half. How many more people stick around? I haven't seen the minute by minute, but I'm guessing that that noise around halftime was the clicking of the TV in certain households. No question. It's 21 to six this game at halftime. The Chiefs didn't score a touchdown at all. They only had three points in the second half and there was not a single point scored in the game in the fourth quarter. So all those things don't help. I saw streaming numbers from Conviva. The streams peaked in the first half. There were more yeah. people streaming right at the end of the first half than there were at any point in the second half. That's going to doom you off the bat. I was actually going to ask you, Scott, and, and there's an answer. Someone can answer this, and I don't think either of us are able to. But if, if, if you were a TV executive and I promised you, you had the Super Bowl, and I said you can pick one of these three things. You can have a close game, maybe go into overtime. You can have two of the biggest names, two of the biggest popular teams in the game, or I'll give you a snowstorm that blankets the entire country. Which of those three things do you think is most important to drive ratings during a game? I really thought it was going to be pretty easy on the three you were giving me, but I'm going to stick with the core competition 
and the inherent curiosity of the of the fan for that big game. And I'm going to say the most important factor, while I know bad weather helps and we had bad weather in the Northeast, I will say that you need a close game I think because it, it, you just carry over to the West Coast. It's for all those folks who always say about ratings or uh, start times, you should start earlier. You're losing all the kids. I mean, we've seen it time and time again. The later you go, the better for the West Coast. So just keep the game close. And I think you keep that fan attention. Yeah, I think you're right. And, and as you said, we had two of those three things in this game. Brady versus Mahomes was a fantastic matchup of two really compelling NFL superstars. And there was bad weather across the country in a lot of places. So we had two of those things. The ratings were down. My question, an, another unanswerable one maybe, and maybe we'll, we'll find out in the next couple of years, how much do we attribute this to the pandemic and the uniqueness of what's happening right now? And how much do we attribute this to the fact that just TV watching in general is down, I think, 20% so far this year up through the first week of February. How much of this is permanent and how much of this is pandemic? Yeah, the dip in the Super Bowl number was just about equivalent to the dip of the full season rating. So it's not like there was an anomaly where it went down 20 or 30%. It was right about even to where what we saw throughout the year. That's no surprise. But still, at 90 point whatever million viewers, will finish 2021 as the most watched program of the year. That's well, the power that, of football. I think that closes the book on the NFL season, Scott. Let's let's move on to another topic. The NHL signed a sports betting partnership with PointsBet earlier this week. Kind of a unique aspect built into that. The NHL is getting equity in PointsBet as part of the deal. They're getting about 41,000 shares. It's, it's worth $531,000 right now. Those shares will be paid out in 12 months, 24 months, and 36 months. So it could be worth a lot more when the NHL actually gets it. But the lines are really starting to blur here, Scott, between sports leagues and sports betting entities. Well, the NFL, we just, I mean, I'm going to go back to that league for a second. They're an equity stakeholder in Sport Radar. So that that's, you know, that's one, the behemoth in the sports betting world. Uh, but you, why were you being so modest? You just presented that as if this was a press release that was put out. Eben, you broke the news that the NHL was taking equity in points bet. Curiously, the NHL's statement on the deal did not include the fact that they were taking an equity stake in the company. And you and I cannot figure out for the life of either one of us why they just don't tell the world. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I mean, I can give the, without getting too much into detail, I have an alert set up for, for filings that involve points bet in the Australian Securities Exchange. Oh, don't give this away was, the secret. No, this was, no, no. <laughs> this was filed there. I saw it there first. Then about 20 minutes later, right after our story went, actually, the NHL puts its puts its press release out and it's not in the actual official release. So it was disclosed publicly in Australia. It was not disclosed publicly here in the U.S. And, and you're right. I think that's fairly I think it's curious. The NHL has a piece of DraftKings that it acquired back when DraftKings was a daily fantasy company. But that's obviously a sports betting company now. Just to, to, to rattle off some other things across the sports world, you mentioned the NFL being a, an equity owner in, in Sport Radar. Major League Baseball, I think, had and, and maybe sold its DraftKings stake. Jerry Jones and Bob Kraft, two NFL owners, their investors in DraftKings. The Washington football team just got a license to be a sports betting operator, essentially, in, in I Virginia. think it's fair to say, Eben, that the leagues and teams are now fully aligned. They are in bed with, they understand, as I think the public does as well, 
that sports betting is here to stay and it is not getting smaller. The numbers, the part, the participants, uh, everything associated with sports betting and engagement and dollars bet is only going to mushroom. And that's after decades of all of these leagues being pretty much the biggest impediment to more nationwide legal sports betting happening. Yeah, well, I always go back to, uh, I, I won't say who it was, but when all the leagues were lining up against betting, uh, and some leagues, I think Gary Bettman even said something to the effect of, well, our game isn't really like football or baseball. It's not really or basketball. It's not really designed for sports betting, but here he is now with the deal. This person, an executive at one of the leagues, told me, you know when you're going to see a full embrace of sports betting, and this will not surprise anybody, a very simple thing that everybody keeps their eye on, when the money is big enough to matter. We are now there. The money is big enough to matter for not only the teams, but the leagues as well. Absolutely. And it's a good transition, actually, to another topic I want to discuss. Have you seen the the news stories around the Super Bowl streaker? Uh, Have those hit your timeline yet? Uh, I did. And by the way, normally the networks don't show anybody who runs on the field, but I did see it. Like we had the, when he went through, you know, you, you got to see, oh, streaker on the field. Right. And you always wonder in, in sort of these prop bet sorts of things, and I'll let you actually say what it is, whether it's the color of the Gatorade or you have to know the length of the national anthem, right? How long it takes to sing. Is it over or under two minutes, whatever? Like somebody knows the answer to these things and some of them can be created. And I think that's where you're going on this point. Yeah. So this streaker, and we should say caveat that he's changed his story a number of times. So we don't even know how much of this is, is, is entirely accurate. The streaker claims that he made $375,000 by betting. He said in Vegas, which turns out to be not true, but maybe he and his friends across a couple of accounts were able to do this in the offshore markets, but says he made $375,000 betting that there would be a streaker during the game and that that streaker was actually him. Um, again, as I said, he originally said this would happen in Vegas. No legal sports book would take $50,000 bet on the uh, on, on their streaker to, to happen during the Super Bowl. Um, but if it happened off, over, uh, offshore, that's certainly possible. The thing that interests me way more than whether or not this is a true story or not is that this is theoretically a plausible story. And this is the kind of thing. There's a lot of people that talk about integrity concerns around sports betting. And, and most of those conversations talk about point shaving. What happens if there's a corrupt player or a corrupt referee or a corrupt team, what that looks like. There's a whole other side of that coin, which is that if you have fans who are in the stands during games that have big financial uh, stakes related on the outcome, what's to say that, you know, a a, a fan at a golf match doesn't run out and and kick Brooks Kepka's ball into the, into the water or, you know, run onto the the basketball court in in the final seconds as someone's going for an uncontested layup. It's not hard to find ways in which you could imagine a sports fan with a lot of money on the line getting to a point where he or she was willing to interrupt a sporting event to to, to protect that money. Yeah, I see. I mean, there's only one thing that can really interrupt the deluge of dollars of sports betting, and that is if the public at large does not have faith that the games are and the bets are on the up and up. That's about it. If that goes away, then you could see sort of a diminution in the number of people who want to partake in the action. Probably not even that many, but um, that that to me is like the only thing that can really stop it, uh, which explains why, boy, if you remember the Tim Donahue affair in the NBA, you, you 
I, I remember David Stern's face that day. He has never been more dour because he understood if you take away the, the trust that what's happening on the court, the field, the rink, whatever, if you take that away, that it's, it, people perceive it's not on the up and up, they will turn their attention elsewhere. It's all yeah. predicated on all that stuff being played, that that stuff's being done uh, on the up and up. And I would think you and I agree that, that this stuff is going to happen just by virtue of more people gambling on sports, by virtue of, of the leagues embracing it at some point. At some point soon, probably, we're going to have a scandal of some... I was remembering, actually, I don't know if you remember this, a couple of years ago, there was a, an Alabama student that called a bomb scare into an LSU Florida yeah. game. Yep. And, and it turns out that his, his buddy had, had money on the game and was about to lose the game because LSU was winning. So he called a bomb scare. So, so we're kind of already seeing, and the streaker very well may be another example, kind of on the edges, some of this craziness happening. But but I think we're going to I think we're going to see more of this. And at some point there's going to be a big scandal that involves a college or professional sports team. But you know what they say about sunlight, Evan? And that's why all of these companies, the radars, the geniuses, that's why they have these integrity divisions, because you can now you know, have those algorithms spinning, not only to come out with betting odds, but look for weird patterns, look for abnormalities that can send up that flare early. That's what at least the commissioners and the owners, they've always said. The more sunlight, the transparency, and we can hopefully see if any of these things are happening. Scott, to change topics here, I, you assume you saw this as well, something that you've been advocating for for a long time, to your credit. The Dallas Mavericks, at the uh, at the instruction of owner Mark Cuban, are no longer playing the national anthem before games and have no intention to restart the practice. I feel like you've been saying this for the decade that I've known you, that it was silly we do it and the team should stop. Yeah, and it's not any sort of patriotic anything. That, it just never made sense to me just from sort of an entertainment, sports and entertainment. It, sports is no different than the Broadway play, and it's no different than the movie. It's just an entertainment option. Uh, what I find curious here, though, is that Mark isn't explaining why. He is confirming that, yes, at my direction, we are no longer playing the anthem, but he's not explaining why. I'm just curious also, if you look at the makeup of the rosters, and I, I know these games are playing being held in the U.S. or in Canada in the case of the NHL. But if you look at the rosters, you have to wonder how many players on the roster don't hail from the United States or, or Canada. Uh, look at a hockey team. You've got, you've got Russian, Swedes, Finns. You know, they're all over the world. Czechs, they're all over the world. I just never got why an entertainment venue was utilized in, in this way. So you're right, just for years, it wasn't a big thing to me. I just couldn't figure out why somebody hadn't opted out and said, it just doesn't make sense for our venue. And here's Mark, but I'd really love Mark to come out and tell us why he did it. What's the thinking? Does it have anything to do with there being no crowd pandemic? Uh, but from a business perspective, you have to look at where he is located. I do wonder how a, a more conservative-leaning state like Texas will react to Mark saying, no anthem, we don't need it. We're just going to do away with it. I, I don't know, but Mark has never let things like that get in the way uh, of what he perceives for whatever reason is the right thing to do. I was curious before we started recording about the history of the anthem at sporting events. So I actually did a little digging. Turns out, and, and for folks who are curious, this might be educational for you, the first uh, recorded incident of the national anthem being played uh, before a sporting event was in May 1862 at the dedication of a new baseball field in Brooklyn. It became commonplace at sporting events in the 1920s, 
kind of the post-World War One surge of patriotism. A little a jingoism people, there, yeah. A, a lot of people were going to movie theaters. They were playing it before movies and theaters there. It became popular in sports, and it just kind of grew from there. And it's become, over the years, people will know this, kind of a hotbed for political protest. Tommy Smith and John Carlos at the Olympics in 1968 certainly stands out. Colin Kaepernick in 2016. Uh, Carlos Delgado, I believe that was God Bless America, but wasn't coming out for... Uh, for that during the seventh inning stretch for a while because of the Iraq war, Sharif Abdul or uh, Sharif Abdul Raif in, in, in the nineties in, in the NBA. Uh, I believe, I believe that was Mah- Mahmoud Abdul Raouf for the, right. the nuggets years ago. I have the, <laughs> I wrote the last name correctly. And that, said that's okay. Incorrectly. Or, or those who were LSU fans would know him as Chris Jackson. There you go. Um, but yes, it's been a hotbed for, for, for protests. And, and one more thing on Mark Cuban, this is an about face for him as well. Back in 2017, when the kind of the first new wave post Kaepernick of athletes kneeling during the anthem, I believe Mark said that he would be standing and he would expect all of his players to be standing as well. So, so kudos to him to, for, for in some ways, maybe not as publicly, but coming to a, a different conclusion than he was holding a couple of years ago. Oh, Mr. Novi Williams speaking about timely. In the email inbox right now, statement from the National Basketball Association regarding this very topic. Go for it. I see it here. With the with NBA teams now in the process of welcoming fans back into their arenas, all teams will play the national anthem in keeping with the longstanding league policy. So different from what we've heard from the uh, from the Dallas Mavericks here, Scott. The league saying all teams, I assume that includes Dallas, will be playing the anthem. In arenas. Not like Mark Cuban hasn't been fined before for disagreeing with the NBA. We will follow and see what happens. Yeah. So here's my question on this real quick. If the NBA has a, you know, it's, it's rule book says players have to stand for the national anthem. It has not been enforcing that of late, of course, as a lot of players have chosen not to do that. This certainly feels a little bit different than that. This feels like something that they are willing to enforce given the timing of the announcement. Visa relative to whether whether players have to stand for it. This seems to me the NBA is looking into the crystal ball and seeing possible blowback and saying we don't need that right now. We have a policy and all teams will follow it. We will stay tuned. You talked about Kaepernick. Uh, why don't we close the show with little Colin Kaepernick? Because really, why shouldn't Colin Kaepernick also be involved in a SPAC? Everybody else is involved in a SPAC in the sports world a special purpose acquisition corporation. Mr. Novi Williams, why don't you tell the world who he's teamed up with and what exactly he's doing? Yeah, so Kaepernick is is, is looking to raise money alongside Phoenix Suns co-owner John Jaffe. Uh, he, he's raising money. We, we've talked about SPACs a lot before. This SPAC, a little bit different. This is an ESG SPAC, Scott. It stands for Environmental, Societal, and Governance. It's essentially a SPAC that is looking to do business in the social impact space more or less, which is certainly in keeping with, you know, the direction that Colin Kaepernick has gone as an activist since he stopped playing uh, in the NFL. But you're right. This it seems very, very predictable and, and and good for John and good for Colin and very curious if they do find an acquisition target, what that might look like. Everybody's fighting for targets, but we should say it's a crowded space. I mean, it's what we've had like 50 or so sports related SPACs filed already. Some of the folks already involved. A-Rod has one. Billy Bean has one with Jerry Cardinal, right? Red Ball. Uh, you've got Theo Epstein just came in with Arcto Sports Partners. So big names looking for 
things they can do, whether they can merge some companies. It doesn't have to be a straight-up acquisition. Uh, there's just a lot going on in the space. We should say, by the way, we will have a live event, right? We have a live event at uh, Sportico Live event on SPAC, so some of the biggest and the best uh, who are involved there um, telling us about why this is happening, what the ramifications are. Um, uh, uh, John Ledecky has like eight SPACs, by the, the co-owner of the New York Islanders. So uh, just just many, many SPACs out there and not surprised to see Colin Kaepernick jump in. And let's see how fast and easy it is to find a target where it's like your, your mission is to do good in society. You know, how, yeah. Let's see how many companies he finds. Yeah, and we should mention that it's $250 million is what they're looking to raise for folks who like to play the game of what can this back buy. It's important to note that that's not the limit of the, the size of the company that they can acquire. There's a lot of ways to add separate financing on the side or keep current owners invested in equity. It doesn't mean that they have to look at companies only valued at $250 million. There's a lot of options and much bigger companies that they could go after if they want to with a pool of $250 million. Oh, how I wish we had uh, brought Brendan Coffey on for the uh, specifics. But he did write a great story, so you can actually go check it out at Sportico. Uh, Google Brendan Coffey and SPAC, because he's writing about every single one of them. He did a primer on sort of what they are as vehicles and why and what the limitations are and how they're utilized. So I've learned a lot of what uh, what I've been talking about from Brendan. I know Scott, you have as well. Scott, are we announcing the Sportacast SPAC now, or are we saving that for, for next weekend? No, no, no. We can announce that now. <laughs> That's fine. Everybody can know that there'll be the Sportacast special SPAC with Brendan. No. <laughs> Looking to raise $25. <laughs> yeah, right. You, you, you and I, we'll, we'll raise 50 and that'll give us, what, 200 in buying power? We'll get new microphones or mic stands. I can use a new mic stand. Yours looks pretty good, but I can I use a new mic stand. I love it. All right, let's keep Core Development social uh, media person happy here, right? You, you go to Twitter. You can follow the show, Sportacast, at Sportacast. Novi Williams, you can find at Novi ugh, underscore Williams. I am at Soshnik. And if you want the whole shebang, just go ahead and do your download wherever you get your stuff. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.